From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We have a couple things on the table today. First, we'll talk about recent news involving the Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump, and his foundation and whether or not it's been operating illegally in New York. We'll also talk about his comment on taxes during the presidential debate last week. We'll talk about private foundations as well. What is the difference between a private foundation and a public charity, and how are they each regulated? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING with any comments or questions you might have today. 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We have a couple things to talk about today. First, we're going to talk about some recent news involving the Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump, and his foundation, whether or not it's been operating illegally in New York. We'll talk about that story. Also, his comment on taxes during the presidential debate last week. And we'll get into private foundations. What is the difference between a private foundation and a public charity? We'll also talk about how they are regulated. You can give us a call at any time this morning. 877-MPB-RING. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you were watching the debate uh, last week and you had some comments uh, about the uh, tax comments that were made by Donald Trump, and we'll play a clip in just a moment. And if you have any other questions about private foundations or public charities, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Sharita. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, this might be one of those shows where we have to play the disclaimer a couple of times and not just <laughs> once that these are not the opinions necessarily of uh, Mississippi Public Broad- Broadcasting MPB. Uh, and, uh, you know, I will try to keep everything factual, but sometimes you have opinions that do come in. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll have some varying opinions this morning, and that's fine uh, because we we typically learn that way when we have different perspectives. Um, so I had pulled up the clip. I was listening. I was watching the the debate last week, and um, uh, you know Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were kind of going back and forth about why his tax returns had not been revealed. Um, your thoughts on that? Hillary Clinton made the point that you know all the other presidents have uh, presidential candidates have shown their tax returns, and he hasn't. And he said that he had gotten he had been getting audited it for 15 years. So some of the language was a little uh, unfamiliar to me. But could you just comment on that, the idea that he said he had been being audited for 15 years? Well, that's, uh, you know, that would be an indication that there were some concerns about uh, what was going on with his taxes. Although some you know, big businesses, and he does run a, you know, uh, multi-tiered business, you know, a, a huge business, are often audited simply because their returns are so complex. So the audit process in and of itself doesn't mean there's something wrong, but you know, if there's been an ongoing audit for 15 years, you know, the, the IRS is being very careful to make sure that what's being reported is legitimate. 
Right. Okay. so let's uh, listen to this clip, Jonas, uh, from the presidential debate. Uh, Hillary Clinton is going to be talking about Donald and why she thinks he hasn't released his tax returns. And then he makes a little comment after that. Why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that he owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. paid zero, that means... Okay, Professor Gershon, so the, that comment he said about that makes me smart, um, you know, kind of caused a, a little storm in, in the media. So uh, what are your thoughts on that, his idea that that makes him smart? And what do you think he was talking about? Well, I think, you know, the, the starting point is that we are all permitted to legally minimize our, our tax exposure. And so one could argue that he's saying, hey, you know, I did what I was legally allowed to do and that, you know, the, I took advantage of the tax law to minimize my, my tax exposure. And that makes me smart. I would argue that now that makes probably his accountant smart and his tax lawyer smart. Typically, you know, I don't know that many um, people in his position really do understand the tax law that well. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, um, as Secretary Clinton mentioned, I mean, it seems like this is the kind of thing that he could uh, get rid of any doubt that uh, by simply disclosing his tax returns, which every other presidential candidate has done. So there does seem to be a lack of transparency there that would be nice to see. He may have nothing to hide. I don't know. I really can't. I, I don't think I'm in a position to comment on it. And I don't think any of us are in a position to comment on it. The only person who could actually do anything about it is uh, – is Donald Trump by releasing his returns. Um, and are the presidential candidates uh, supposed to release those returns? Um, and I'm, I'm going to give the number out really quickly. 877-MPB-RING is the number. If you want to join the conversation, uh, we have started by talking about some news uh, involving the presidential debate last week and Donald Trump's comment about not paying taxes, uh, federal taxes makes him smart. If you have any thoughts on that or any questions, call us at 877-MPB-RING. And we're also going to be talking about private foundations and public charities. So if you have a charity, if you donate to a charity, if you have a foundation and you uh, want some advice, you can call us at 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Once again, that number is 877-MPB-RING. Um, uh, but Professor Gershon, what I was asking was, um, are the presidential candidates, are they all required to release their tax returns or is that, you know, up to them? You know, that's been the, that's been the policy, uh, and that's been the practice. And I think, you know, it's a good thing. We want to know who our, you know, who our leaders are and, and, uh, what, you know, you know, where their income comes from to make sure it's not from an illegal source, uh, to make sure that they're, uh, reporting their income fairly you know, we, we want leaders who are in, I always say, you know, in, into public service and not self-service, and that's important. And so it's simply a matter of, uh, you know, why not disclose that information? Now, as to the, the, the question of uh, whether, you know, he's smart or not, you know, to be fair, there are, there are losses called net operating losses. 
that businesses have. And let's say, let's say I have a business that has, you know, a $50 million loss one year, and I don't have income to offset that against. And the next year I make $10 million in that business. I could use the previous year's loss to offset that, that income because, you know, uh, tax years are kind of artificial. So, you know, to, to better reflect income, we look at more than just one year. And that's part of what was going on was he had a net operating loss, and that's why he hasn't paid taxes for a while, and that, that actually could make sense. For me, as a taxpayer, what, what I would like to see our next president do, whoever it is, is change some of those laws that allow paper losses. I mean, what, what happens with an uh, organization like Donald Trump's and a lot of businesses where there's a large wealth, a, a lot of that, uh, those losses are paper losses from something called depreciation. They're not out-of-pocket losses. Typically, the money that he's using to create those losses is either from uh, money he's borrowed or from investors. So he hasn't really suffered that loss, even though he's allowed to take that loss as a deduction. I would like to see some reform in, our, in Congress that says, you know, that wealthy people uh, should not be able to take advantage of those kinds of losses to the extent that they do, that they ought to be able to take, take advantage of real economic losses as, as they report their income taxes. Um, okay. And, and also what I wanted to talk about was this new information that just came out of New York. Um, there was a violation found, and uh, they determined that the, the New York Attorney General disclosed Monday that it ordered Donald Trump's personal charity to cease fundraising immediately after determining that the foundation was violating state law by soliciting donations without proper organ, uh, authorization. And that's an uh, opening paragraph from the Washington Post. Um, so let's talk about that. How uh, how he was able to get around not registering this foundation and who was responsible for it, his, his tax lawyers. Um, so let's answer that first, and then I have a follow-up question. Sure. Well, Sharita, it's probably the same smart people who uh, saved him a lot of taxes or the people who screwed up on something. I think that's pretty fundamentally simple, which is, is registering a charity uh, in a state where you're soliciting. I mean, there is the, you know, there are federal laws about uh, registering a charity, but, but there are also state laws, and the, the New York State Attorney General said uh, that the Trump Foundation was not properly registered and could no longer fundraise there. So I, th- yeah, I guess whoever, you know, if, if he's taking credit for being smart on, on one hand, then this was pretty dumb on the other hand, because that's a real simple thing to do is just file uh, with the appropriate authority. Now, um, one other thought is that Trump's foundation, because of this uh, improper registering, had avoided rigorous annual audits that New York State uh, requires of charities that seek public seeks the, seeks the public's money. Um, so it is possible that he could have gotten around uh, because that, what, what they do with that audit is, you know, hold people accountable uh, to make sure the money is being spent properly. Um, so talk about that for a moment, how avoiding that audit could have probably helped him a lot. Well, that, that's a great question, and, you know, there's some question about his private foundation about whether he's even uh, made any donations to it in the last decade, uh, and that would certainly give some, shed some light on whether he has actually paid any, any charitable contributions to that, that foundation. Uh, it would also show, you know, what the foundation is using the money for. Uh, one of the controversies um, that has come up is that, you know, private foundations are supposed to be giving money for charitable causes. Uh, the Trump Foundation actually paid for some of his litigation expenses 
surrounding Trump University, which was clearly inappropriate. Uh, also, he, uh, he uh, helped to fund the campaign and actually was fined for this of uh, uh, Florida's Attorney General Pam Bondi, who happens to be a former student of mine, by the way. But he, he uh, actually uh, funded her campaign uh, with a uh, $25,000 gift, and that was inappropriate. Now, he could do that out of his own pocket, but out of his charitable foundation, that was inappropriate. And uh, the foundation purchased a $20,000 six-foot portrait of him, uh, which also may violate federal law because that's not for a charitable, pur- charitable purpose. Uh, in fact, uh, ch- charitable organizations are really not, supposed to be in the business of endorsing political candidates. Hmm. Okay, so they're supposed to be neutral. Interesting. Um, So we'll talk, we're going to take a quick break and we'll talk about, uh, as I mentioned, the difference between a private foundation and a public charity. We'll get into those specifics after the break. If you've been listening this morning, you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about, uh, Donald Trump's comment during the presidential debate about not paying uh, taxes makes him smart. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any comments or questions about your own foundations or charities, things you need some clarity on. We have a few lines open for you, 877-MPB-RING ring is the number that's 877-672-7464 or send an email to legal terms at mpbonline.org this is think radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We have uh, lots of things to talk about today. We've been talking about the recent news involving uh, Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump and his foundation and uh, whether or not they had been operating illegally in New York. That information just came out. And also we were talking about uh, his comments during the presidential debate about making it making him smart that he wasn't paying taxes. We were trying to explain that. And if you have any comments or questions about uh, anything we discussed involving Donald Trump, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. And we're also going to spend some time this morning talking talking about private foundations and public charities, how they are regulated. If you have any questions or comments about that, maybe you have your own foundation or your own charity and you want to join the conversation, we welcome you. The number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to the phones. Brian is in Mobile, Alabama. Good morning, Brian. What do you have for us? Hey, um, I've got a question, and I apologize for being kind of deep in the weeds, but um, a lot of what I've heard reporting about the Trump Foundation. Uh-oh, Brian, you, uh, we lost you for a second there. Can you still hear me? Okay. Can you all hear me? Yes, okay, yeah. go ahead. Okay, uh, what I'd heard about the Trump Foundation is that it could not solicit for more than $25,000. 
um, for the New York uh, regulations. I just was curious, was that for $25,000 for from individual donors or $25,000 collectively or over a time period? And also, how do different state um, foundations um, uh, vary from each other in terms of regulation? Okay, great questions, Brian. Thank you so much. Brian, that is a great question. And, um, you know, if you, if one way to look at this is that from state to state, it's just like, or, you know, running a business in a state. You know, if I'm running a corporation, for example, uh, in the state of Mississippi, I need, I need to register that corporation uh, in the state to do business here. Uh, the same thing with a charitable organization. If I'm going to solicit within the state, I need to, uh, you know, file with the state and be uh, registered as a, a charitable organization that is uh, allowed to uh, raise money. Now, in New York, um, my understanding of the New York law, and I'm not an expert on it, is that they would limit him to $25,000 because non-registered charities can only solicit for a small amount. So, you know, if, if, for example, uh, if you had a, a, a Boy Scout troop who uh, wanted to raise some money by, by selling things, they, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have to register to do that, they probably did, but you know, there are smaller organizations uh, that don't raise, a, 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 you know, above a threshold amount, are allowed to do that without registering with the state in most states, and that would be uh, probably the case in New York as well. But we're talking about a you know a big time charitable foundation here uh, that has uh, raised you know multiple millions of dollars. So that would be, you know, something that they would want to uh, obviously register and uh, and have state supervision over. All right, Brian, does that answer your question? Uh, kind of. Does that uh, $25,000, is that like, say, for a total amount or from individual donors? I know, like, they'd use the foundation for, like, um, a funnel for all of the veterans' donations during that uh, debate alternative event that they had done. I didn't know if, say, getting $25,000 donations would be the same as one $25,000 donation. My, my understanding is that it would be a total of $25,000, and that would be uh, not from every donor, but, you know, because that could be multiple millions of dollars from a lots of different donors. But, I, but my understanding is it's really limited to a small amount because, uh, you know, those are the kind of charities that don't have to uh, have state certification in New York to, to raise money. So, you know, once, once you go above that threshold, you have to register with the state. Uh, and, uh, and so my understanding is he would be very limited in the amount that he could raise for that, that charity unless he registers with New York. I'm not, I'm not sure why they're not doing that. All right, Brian, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We go next to Francis, who's in Jackson. Good morning, Francis. What do you have for us? Francis, are you there? Francis? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Hey, Francis, what do you have for us today? Um, I want to know uh, who keeps track of the percentage of donated funds uh, that are, are paid out to family members uh, and who uh, uh, family members and friends and uh, of the billionaires that that operate uh, create the charitable organization and they are created are they expressly created as tax shelters for those people who have money so that they could uh, get by like Donald Trump has done with the $18 billion. Okay. Thank you for that question, Francis. Uh, any thoughts, Dean Gershon? 
Well, uh, that's a great question, Francis. I mean, first of all, uh, the way that um, charities are regulated, again, this is why New York wants a charity registered, because then that charity has to report all of its fundraising for the year, and it has to show what amount it uses for operating expenses, which mean, you know, like, you know, what is it using for offices and, and equipment and to pay salaries. And then uh, also, uh, you know, how much it's giving to charities and, and, you know, to see what percentage of the money taken in actually goes to charities. I know, you know, there was a controversy, for example, with the United Way uh, a few years ago because a lot of the United Way's money was going not to the charitable organizations that, uh, that it was supposed to be supporting, but instead was going to pay uh, overhead like, uh, you know, the, the CEO's salary. Now, that's been changed. The United Way does a great job now. Uh, but, you know, we regulate those, those organizations by their, A, self-reporting, and then by the state and the federal government making sure that they actually are doing what they say they're doing. All right, Francis, thank you for that call. Okay. You're welcome. All right. Okay, we go next to Frank, who's in Memphis, with a comment. Good morning, Frank. What do you have for us? Frank, are you there? Yeah, this is Frank in Memphis. Hey, there must be some kind of delay because uh, nobody's hearing me the first go around. What do you have for us, Frank? <laughs> oh, I just wanted to uh, make a comment about the uh, deductions and uh, things that uh, Trump took. Uh, man, I've said to you, and I've talked to a lot of people that pays taxes, and, and uh, you know, I don't know anybody that uh, has ever told me, said, well, you know, I owed $100, but uh, I sent them in $500. Or I didn't know anything, but I still sent him in some money. It's just a common sense thing that he did. Uh, it's just business practices. And people, you know, if you're, if you're a person that sent in twice as much as you were supposed to, maybe you could say, yeah, he's in the wrong. But I think he's uh, he just did a thing that's good business practice. It's not a genius. It's just common sense. And I think everybody does. That's my comment. Thank you. All right, Frank, thanks for that. Uh, difference in opinion. Your thoughts on that, uh, Professor Gershon? Well, I think it, right now, as the law stands, Frank is absolutely right. I would not argue with that. The law does allow, uh, you know, very, very wealthy people to, to take these losses. My point is a lot of these losses are not actually losses that they've suffered. Uh, these are losses that the tax code allows and uh, that Congress could change uh, and, and try to make sure that the tax code was fairer in that way. I mean, you know, I think Frank is absolutely right. Nobody should pay more than their share, but everybody should pay their fair share. And uh, and I'm not sure that under our current tax code, which is, uh, you know, controlled by a lot of special interest, uh, there's special provisions that uh, give uh, special treatment for insurance companies, for real estate investments, a lot of different industries that benefit directly from the tax code. And I'm not sure that necessarily we would we would agree that that's that's fair. Uh, but right now, uh, what what you know, if if he if he would release his tax returns, we would know this for sure. Uh, you know, if he's doing everything legally under the code, I have no quarrel with that. Instead, I have a quarrel with the way the code operates itself, and wish that Congress had a will to change the code. 
All right. Uh, 877-MPB-RING is the number if you want to join the conversation. Uh, we were talking about uh, earlier the, the news for Donald Trump and New York has uh, ordered him to stop receiving solicitations because of an issue with the charity not being properly registered. We were talking about that. If you have any comments or thoughts about that or his comment during the presidential debate about him not paying taxes makes him smart. If you had any questions or comments or needed some clarity, give us a call. We're also about to start talking about private foundations and public charities and the ins and outs of those. So 877-MPB-RING is the number to join the conversation. Uh, so, Professor Gershon, let's first talk about private foundations. Um, why would an individual want a private foundation as opposed to a public charity? Are there some specific pros? Yes, Shreya, great question. And, uh, you know, part of it is, let's say you take somebody like Bill Gates. You know, if you're Bill Gates uh, and, you know, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has given a lot of money and done a lot of good work around the world. I mean, if, you, if you're somebody like that, though, you know, everybody's going to solicit you for money, right? I mean, they're going to come to you individually. Um, if you have a foundation instead uh, that you set up with, you know, whatever you're going to give to charity, you put into that foundation, then they're going to solicit the foundation, which will have its separate board. So some of it really is just to protect very wealthy people from being called by every charity around. Uh, and then those foundations decide each year uh, based on presentations, who they're going to give uh, donations to. So that would be one thing. The other thing is that a private foundation, which is usually set up by a family, so the Trump Foundation, the, the Bill Gates Foundation, the Clinton Foundation are all uh, set up by families, uh, are, are going to be uh, directed by that family typically, which means they'll have some input in how the money is invested uh, they are tax-free organizations, so the investments grow tax-free. And then they get to decide uh, how much money goes to what charity. Uh, as opposed to a public charity, like a university or a church, uh, those are much more um, run uh, at, you know, at, by public entities. You know, the, the church itself is run by its membership and not by a particular family. Uh, the university is run by a board. Uh, here we have the IHL board. We have a, our separate foundation here at, at Ole Miss, which is a, uh, a, a you know, really a public charity, a 501c3 uh, institution. So, um, you know, uh, private foundations are really, I think, designed to protect the donors from uh, solicitation uh, directly. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about uh, public charities and foundations. If you have a foundation or charity and you have any questions or comments about uh, your taxes or how to operate it and how to make sure that it's properly regulated, call us at 877-MPB-RING. We've also been talking about some news uh, surrounding Donald Trump lately uh, in New York. Uh, they found that his charity was not properly registered, um, so they have uh, stopped solicitations. If you have any thoughts about that or his comments during the presidential debate, about not paying taxes. Call us at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we've been talking about some news surrounding the Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump, and his foundation. Also, his comment on not paying taxes in the last presidential debate. And also, we're talking about private foundations and public charities. If you have any questions about how to regulate those, maybe you have one and you're wondering, uh, you need some advice about it, call us at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We have several calls to get to. Uh, First, Professor Gershon, I had a quick question when you were talking about uh, private foundations. uh, The word wealthy came up and families uh, running these. Do you have to be wealthy to have a foundation? No, Sharita, you don't. Uh, But because there are costs involved in setting up one of those foundations, uh, and, you know, making sure that you file the appropriate paperwork and, and you know, have tax returns each year. Uh, a lot of people instead choose to give their money uh, directly to the charity uh, itself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, you, that's why, you know, non-wealthy people typically don't set up their own, their own foundations. Uh, the other thing is people with great wealth are trying to uh, minimize their tax uh, burden and one way to do that is through charitable giving. And so, uh, you know, that would be another reason if you're making large contributions that you might want to run a, a private foundation. Now, so what, what some communities have started to do uh, is have a community foundation, which is where uh, smaller uh, family foundations can pool together their resources uh, within the community foundation. And then the community foundation takes care of all the paperwork and all the filing and everything else. And so you'll see, you know, almost like having a bank account, uh, people can have a a family, small family foundation and a community foundation. So that's one way that uh, uh, less wealthy people could could be involved in private foundations. All right. We go back to the phones. Pat is in Aberdeen with a comment. Good morning, Pat. Pat, are you there? Yes, yes. Hey, what's your comment? My comment is, uh, regarding the tax codes that's supposed to be unfair, is that we need to, uh, we think about people who take chances to build places like Walmart and uh, Bill Gates. They go out on a limb and they take all those chances. We have a lot of people who don't make it, but uh, if it weren't for those people, they should get some reward for all that they do, that they have been uh, successful that has impacted positively our lives in so many ways. And now the Walmart is now standing with so much criticism. That is my comment. There's, there's something to be said for the entrepreneur that will step out because many fail, and they need all the tax help they can get. My other comment, really, very quickly, Sharita, is no matter what program you are hosting, you do an outstanding job, and I would look forward to meeting you. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. I really appreciate that. Um, okay. <laughs> all right, be safe. Any thoughts on uh, Pat's comments, Professor Gershon? Well, on one, first of all, Pat, uh, Sharita is wonderful, and you should meet her. She's really <laughs> an interesting and great person and fantastic to work with. Thank you. Appreciate your comments. And actually, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the tax code uh, gives, for example, 
tax breaks for capital gains, which are really, uh, you know, reduced tax rates for investment, for, uh, you know, taking risk. And, and so I don't disagree with that. My only concern is that some of the tax breaks in the code really are not uh, for economic risk at all. You know, if I borrow money and am using someone else's money uh, and taking losses based on the use of someone else's money, uh, and that's unrestricted, I'm really not taking much of a risk at that point. You know, when you think about it, a lot of investors uh, have invested in businesses and and taken great losses, uh, uh, you know, and and they are the people investing in some of the companies like Walmart and other companies like that. So... um, you know, it's not always so cut and dried. I agree. We need incentives for, for, for people to take chances. Uh, but those incentives sometimes have gotten out of control, and we, we uh, you know, give great tax breaks for people who uh, aren't really taking a risk. You know, I, I'll use it as an example. Um, this is more on a local level, but uh, NFL owners who uh, own uh, who take a risk by having football teams in cities uh, – will say that they need a new stadium and the city will give them more money than they need to build the stadium. And so those owners are actually making money on uh, building new stadiums. And I, and I think that that's the kind of tax incentive that probably goes too far, especially when you think that there are teachers and, and uh, people who work every day who pay, you know, their taxes and uh, don't get the advantages of those special tax breaks. And, uh, and I think they're taking risk as well. All right, Pat, thank you for that call. We appreciate it. We're going to stay on the phones. We go next to Dan, who's in Collinsville, with a comment. Good morning, Dan. You're on the air. Uh, yes, uh, good morning, Sharita. Uh, I had a couple of comments uh, concerning this uh, whole uh, Donald Trump uh, issues on taxes and his uh, nonprofit. Um, you know, from what I understand, he didn't pay all nearly a billion dollars in, in taxes, and Obviously, he was, uh, you know, okay, let's give, give him what he's due. He did use whatever available codes and uh, rules to uh, pay any taxes, and for the next 20 years, he's not to do that. But you know, I think people seem to forget that, you know, even though he got this tax break, uh, there were hundreds of people that did the little manual labor from, you know, uh, putting in tiles and draperies and all the uh, stuff that uh, that was required, and uh, they were just standing uh, with, with, uh, with an empty hand. Uh, so I think people seem to miss the fact that, yeah, okay, this guy got a great tax break, but uh, what about all these people that did not get reimbursed for that? And what about the investors? The investors also lost uh, a lot of their uh, investments on uh, supporting uh, his business ventures. Um, are you there, Sharita? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. And also, I'm also a businessman. Um, and, and look, I grit my teeth and, uh, and and just complain and moan about my 35% uh paying my taxes as a business owner and and i take advantage of what's available out there in terms of uh, the deductions electricity and all the necessary stuff that i have to purchase to to run my business and stuff but trust me i i still have to pay my 30 35 percent uh in taxes and then i just think that that's one of those necessary things that you are given this opportunity to to live in this country where you're able to open your own business and a free market enterprise yet i realize my civic duty that look my taxes are a necessary component of living in this country so that you can pay for military, veterans, uh, schools, bridges, and roads. So I don't know how he, he's able to just kind of justify himself uh, getting away from that kind of civic responsibility, especially if he wants to be the president. Uh, I have a nonprofit. Uh, look, people donate money to my nonprofit, and if they, 
if there's ever a situation where I take some of the donations that they give me and uh, I buy a, a self-portrait or something trivial like that, uh, trust me, my nonprofit would not stand. So it's just my comment that, look, uh, you know, obviously I'm not a Trump supporter. You can tell me by now. But that it just kind of goes to the underlying reasons why the things that he says and does just doesn't seem to go on par to someone who wants to be the leader of our of, of our country. But uh, that's my comment. Thank you. All right, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, any follow-up thoughts, Professor Gershon? Well, Dan, I, I appreciate those comments very much. And I think, you know, one thing to think about, I, I kind of feel like living in this country is really a great privilege for all of us who live here. I know that uh, my family certainly, if they did not come here from Russia, uh, czarist Russia, um, we would, I would not be here alive today. I would not have made it through World War II for sure. Uh, instead, my father fought for this country in World War II, uh, so I'm very proud of this country. And um, but there, you know, I think it, it, there's been kind of a division here. People want their rights, but they don't want their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And and the truth is, if we live here, we have to we have to realize they're both that there are benefits and there are burdens. And one of the burdens is to pay our fair share of taxes, and that's not a bad thing. That's a privilege, in my opinion. All right. Uh, Charles is in Jackson. Good morning, Charles. You are on the air. What do you have for us? Charles, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Hi. My comments and our questions relate to nonprofits or charity, public charities. I always think about that public charities, if they're going to have some type of impact on on what society does, they must have money. You do that with. Now think about some of the large foundations in the uh, in this country, the Forge, the Kellogg. They they have made a lot of money by providing services to people at you know, at a fair price, or maybe not not at at a fair price. <clears throat> and then the tax code is written to, in effect, do do. I was thinking about it to do two different things for individuals that have money to be able to get a tax break by making a donation to like a 501c3 or something. And and, and, and theoretically, <clears throat> the 501c3 is to you know, provide a public good service. And then and along, along that same line, then I think about how in a situation like that, how individuals of, of financial means are then able to, how they're able to influence how society thinks or what society does to change whatever ills we think society has. And so for me, it's like a two-edged sword, and I don't know who really benefits more from that. I I really don't know right now. Sometimes I think that it's 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 just a financial game, you know, because I wonder about the changes that that society, uh, that's made in society because of, charitable giving but i mean i mean it it all sounds good but but underneath i i wonder at times if it if it really works very well anyway that's my crazy comment and you all have a good day it's not crazy charles thank you so much for your call we appreciate it uh any thoughts professor gershon well charles thank you for those comments uh you know i do think charities generally do a lot of good there are some charities that obviously have uh been fraudulent and not done what they're supposed to do uh, but most of them do a lot of good, and people benefit by giving. You know, most really, the you know people who 
uh, don't take advantage of the charitable deduction, people in the lower income tax bracket actually give a higher percentage. Poorer people tend to give a higher percentage of their income to charities than, than wealthy people do, uh, which shows that the tax incentive alone is not the reason why people give. Uh, they give because they want to do good. And, uh, and so I think, you know, get, having a vehicle that's tax exempt so that churches can raise money to, to feed the poor or universities can, uh, you know, be uh, places of higher learning, uh, museums can, you know, uh, function without having to pay taxes. Those are, those are all good. They do, they do a societal good. And if we think about, uh, you know, churches, it, the federal government could not support churches. So this is a way, by giving churches tax exemption, this is a way for uh, churches to raise money, uh, and, you know, from private individuals. And, and, you know, so that's, I think it really, ultimately, they do, they do a lot of good, and, uh, and I'm glad we have them. All right, we need to take our final break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about something very interesting, Pulpit Freedom Sunday. Um, it's a very interesting concept that we're going to talk about. It's, kind of, it's tied into taxes and the IRS, so we'll talk about that after the break. But if you've been listening this morning and you have any comments about uh, public charities, private foundations, any thoughts on Donald Trump's comments during the presidential debate about it being smart for him not to pay taxes, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or email Legal terms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we've been talking about taxes and also public charities and private foundations. And uh, we have a couple calls to get to, not quite ready yet. But uh, Professor Gershon, um, you brought up this idea to me. Um, it's not an idea. Uh, this this thing about public Pulpit Freedom Sunday, rather, not public. Pulpit Freedom Sunday, which was a couple days ago. Uh, it's very interesting. It's involving uh, preachers and their right to oppose political candidates or uh, endorse candidates in, um, in, in the pulpit. And so there's this initiative going on. Uh, so talk to us about this and how uh, it was tied into Lyndon B. Johnson back in the day and, and uh, how it ties into the IRS as well. Well, I think the IRS gets blamed for this, but really the truth is it's Congress that uh, places absolute restrictions on uh, any uh, 501c3 charitable organization, a public charity like an educational institution or a church, uh, from getting, being, you know, endorsing a political candidate. Uh, and so, um, but that restriction is on the entity, and it is not on the individual 
uh, people who are members. So any individual in the church can certainly endorse a political candidate. The church itself just can't endorse a political candidate. And that was the Johnson Amendment. And I think the idea comes from, you know, we say no taxation without representation. Well, these are tax-exempt entities. They're given a special status in tax law uh, to be free of taxation. And so maybe there should be no representation without taxation of the entity, the entity itself. But all the members of a church, all the members of an educational institution are free to speak and endorse candidates as they want to. So the, the appropriate thing to me would be if a, if a pastor wants to encourage something, they can say, hey, I, you know, if you are members of this congregation, write individually uh, and support someone. Uh, when the church is endorsing, that does violate um, federal law at this time. All right, we have some more calls to get to. We go to Troy and Greenwood. Good morning, Troy. What do you have for us? Hello? Hi, Troy. You're on the air. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you. Look, uh, this is where I'm kind of off balance. You know, as a responsible citizen, I have no problem paying my taxes. It's just that I just want to make sure that they're spent appropriately and, and for the betterment of, of us all. But now what I do, what I am concerned about is, is that here we have, if, if you don't make enough income, then you don't have to worry about paying federal taxes. But then if you make too much income, you can, I don't know if there's such thing as too much income, but if you make a lot, uh, or you're a high-income producer, earner, and you can afford tax uh, accountants and, uh, and, and, pe- and people like that, you can actually pay no taxes too. So if you make too little, you don't pay any taxes. If you make a lot, you do not you get out of paying taxes. That means I'm left carrying the bucket for both sides. Is that, am I understanding that right? You know, I think that's the complaint, and I, I think that's a fair that's a fair concern, which is why we want our Congress to make sure that they are really are focused on people in the middle uh, who and, yeah, really do that, have. That, the, that's not that's not fair at all, and 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 that's where I think I had a eye opener because I never really looked at it that way. Because if you know, you, you if you're in a situation, you're not able to 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 to, to earn that level of income to to, to take care of yourself. I can understand us trying to reach out and, and, and give you a hand. But if you are making a billion dollars and you can write off a billion-dollar loss and, and not pay any taxes at, at all, and understand that those losses represent people, I I, I don't understand that. But I'm, I'm going to hang up and just listen to what you have to say. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And I also agree with the young lady. I, I really enjoy listening to you uh, uh, and every time you uh, uh, on the radio, if you hold my attention. Thank you. Thank you, Troy. We appreciate it. Well, Troy, those are great comments. And, you know, they are concerns. I think, you know, where we as taxpayers have uh, some authority is who we elect in Congress. And, and frankly, on both sides of the aisle, our Congress has been pretty dysfunctional in, in terms of dealing with some of these issues. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're way too responsive to special interest and big money and not responsive to the average taxpayer who really is left honestly holding the bag because there are more people in the middle than anywhere else, and that's where the greatest amount of revenue comes from. So um, I think when we elect people, we need to really look at their platforms and see are they in this for public service or self-service. All right, we're going to try to squeeze in these last two calls. We go next to Jen in Jackson. Good morning, Jen. Hey, Jen, you're on the air. Oh, yes. Uh, I just had a comment about the Trump taxes situation. Okay. Uh, 
I'm a, well, first of all, let me say that I'm a Hillary supporter. But uh, the Trump tax situation hasn't bothered me. You know, of all the things that bother me about Trump, that's not one of the ones. Because, uh, I don't know, I've known people, including my father, who never paid taxes because they made so many investments, some good and some bad, that it ended up, um, you know, with so many write-offs that they didn't pay taxes. And, uh, of course, he was no Trump. He was middle class, you know, rental car, I mean, a rental house and a used car. So it may not be the same thing. Um, and as far as the having a, you know, fancy accountant or anything, that doesn't always work either because I know that, like, we... Uh, me and my husband are contractors, and we uh, have tax accountants, but, uh, you know, we still pay taxes a good, you know, 20, 25 percent. So that's all I had to say. Okay. Jen, thank you so much for that call. We appreciate it. Um, we're going to try to squeeze in the last call. Reba is in Hurley. Good morning, Reba. Reba, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Wonderful program. Um, and yes, you always do a great job. Thank you. Um, I try to make this quick, no spend, um, kind of going backwards to the Trump and uh, the tax thing. Um, if he doesn't pay any taxes, federal taxes, it seems like he does that pout thing about um, immigrants or, you know, or what he might call moochers off the system that, uh, you know, get benefits and that kind of thing without paying taxes well i don't if he's not paying taxes why does he even get to complain about that and what's the difference that's my comment all right reba uh dean gerson we have about 30 seconds well and i just want to say thank you reba thanks for all the callers today i think there's a lot of uh you know different discussion about this what i would say is don't believe everything you read or hear but instead think uh, we teach our students here to critically think and to really look behind the facts uh, and and read read the code itself. I mean that you know I know that's painful, but to see what is allowed and what's not allowed. All right, and uh, you know today we've been talking about making uh, good decisions legally and financially, and uh, coming up on relatively speaking, which is a part of the daily Southern Remedy series, they're going to be talking about end of life decisions with Dr. Susan Butcher. So that's a really good one, kind of a continuation of what we've been talking about today. Professor Gershon, thank you so much for being on today. Definitely appreciate your expertise every week. Um, you can download our podcast if you search in legal terms uh, MPB. You can look at it on our website, or if you have a podcast app, you can download that way. So keep that in mind. Thanks to Jonas Adams for bringing our board operator. Kevin Farrell was our call screener. Stay tuned. Dr. Susan Butchers is coming up next to talk about end-of-life decisions. So be sure to stay tuned. This is Think Radio on MPB.